0: Hey everybody, welcome to my mini memoir podcast. I'm Frankie, and some of you know me from my other podcasts, such as What About Your Friends, Boys Love Mariah, and House of Hughes, and some of you are here to find out if I'm gonna talk shit about you. But if this is your first time hearing my voice, then get comfortable because right now I'm treating you like my best friend. So here we go. Part one. Look how he turned out. <laughs> So after the shit show that was, you know, 2020, I started to unpack and analyze a lot of the uncomfortable things I've experienced as a kid and all the people that have contributed to the story that is my life. You know, everything from my disconnected relationship with my parents, my obstacles as a gay Puerto Rican man and how photography and being a part of a podcast community with other queer men of color gave me a better sense of self-awareness. I'm not recording this for fame. I simply want to have a documented version of a 29-year-old Frankie before the next chapter of my life starts. So, and I also want to do this with hope that maybe in the future my younger siblings might listen to this and get a better sense of who their older brother is you know uncensored unfiltered nobody to you know nobody to blur any lines so I want to finally give the kid who felt his voice didn't matter a chance to say how he felt and let him know that his his feelings mattered and and that he was just more than a gay kid who loved Mariah Carey this is for him So I guess I should paint the scene for the new listeners, right? My name is Frankie, but I was born Francisco Lee Rivera on Saturday, May 4th, 1991, and my pronouns are he, him, and his. Details, right? As far as I know, my grandparents are all from Puerto Rico. Mother was born in Chicago, then moved to Springfield, Mass., then Hartford, then Waterbury, where she met my father, and he was born in Trenton, New Jersey, but raised in Philly, before moving to Waterbury where he met my mom and they had me. I'm the only child that my parents had together and they broke up when I was around one or two years old, so I don't have any memories of them together. So get ready for some math. Um, I have two brothers and five sisters and an endless amount of cousins. My mother has four children, three boys with me being the middle child, and my father has three girls and a stepdaughter. I'm his firstborn and his only son. Despite them all being technically half siblings, I was raised to just call them my brothers and sisters. Now, let's start a little light. Anyone that knew me as a child or a young teen knew that I was like the definition of a good boy. I listened to my mother, you know, ma- majority of the time, and I didn't really have much of an attitude until I became a teenager. And one of the things I didn't bother to question or really do research on until a few years ago was the. Complex topic of my racial identity. And I've told this story a bunch of times on my other podcasts, but I'll tell it again for the sake of the new listeners. So I grew up in the projects for about 12 years, and one of my first memories from there was a moment when these kids asked me if I was black or white. I was a little more tan when I was little, and up until that day, I never had conversations surrounding race. So I grew up with mostly black and Latino people in my neighborhood and in school, and I just wasn't used to people asking me questions like that. So I told the kids that I was both. They didn't question me after that. And I went home and told my mom and she tried to correct me and told me that I was Puerto Rican and I was Latino and that was it. So we didn't have conversations surrounding race or politics growing up. I mean, I really wasn't in white spaces until I started my first job. But yeah, Puerto Rican and Latino. Those were the words I identified with. Filling out forms at school was kind of tricky because, you know, Puerto Rican was just never a box to really check off, and Hispanic was this, like, umbrella term that was always there, and I didn't really understand it until I got older, but it's still not a race. I mean, neither is Puerto Rican, but it's always been my answer, and I know some other Puerto Ricans who identify as Black and some who identify as Native American, and, uh, bitch, I don't know what to identify with. Y'all know what I look like. Y'all know my, if you've seen my parents, they don't look black and don't, or they don't look Native American. They definitely don't look white. So if I started identifying as, as black or Native American, it just, it'd be this extremely difficult road to navigate because society likes to pick and choose when the rules of race and identity apply to Americans, right? And, NPR has a podcast called Code Switch, and there's an episode where the hosts dive into the history of race in Puerto Rico. And one of the hosts says, uh, this is just a little quote um, that I got from it. He says, I'm just imagining never having to think about your racial identity in any way. And that was my experience until a few years ago. I've dealt with my share of racism, specifically when I got older and I started working for just racist white men and But it wasn't until my first podcast where I was forced to face the uncomfortable history of anti blackness within the Latino community and even in my own family. As much as I'm aware of some of the history that comes with being Puerto Rican, I still, like I said, I don't know what to identify with because of so many factors. I mean, I guess the term brown would probably be the most fitting, but still. My fair skin, the privileges that come with that, and my specific experience as a person of color, you know, my hair, my features, and so many other things, There's, it, all, it all contributes to the complexity of it all. My family didn't have the vocabulary or like a proper understanding of race in America to have these important conversations with me, and it's, you know, I can't blame it all on them. The education system and just the curriculums, we just, we didn't have those conversations. We didn't have that type of education. So that's just what it is, you know, back to everything else. So the term Spanish, which in my opinion is severely misused to represent Latinos. Uh, that's just a term that I never cared for, uh, mainly because I didn't speak Spanish and my parents never taught me. So As a kid, my mother's side of the family didn't take issue with me not speaking Spanish. Most of my cousins and, you know, aunts and uncles spoke English, so I never felt less of a Latino until my mother's husband's side of the family started talking shit about the fact that I didn't speak Spanish. So I won't stay on the topic of racial identity for long, but I do want to say I think the world needs to start having more responsible and informed conversations about Latino history. But it has to start in the community first. So, let's get back, you know, let's get into my gay-ass childhood now. I was the kid that my sisters and my cousins would make me ask their mother to let me sleep over because they would say yes to me. I always hated asking anyone for anything that wasn't my mother. I remember always just worrying about something. It started out as, like, just worrying about meeting new people and what they would say about me, and then it turned into, you know, a combo of that. Typical teenage shit and, you know, being gay in the mid-2000s Now it's bills and wondering if turning 30 in a few months is going to be as exciting as I want it to be So, you know, let's start Some of my earliest memories are of my older brother and kids at school making fun of the way that I talked and walked And, you know, the questions, are you gay? And the phrase, are you, you talk like a girl? Were my best friends, basically little side note before we really go in so for anyone that's outside of the queer spectrum it's important to understand that conversations around sexuality and gender identity they're very nuanced and everyone's stories should be respected not debated especially if you're a straight cisgender individual who thinks they have an understanding of queer people's lives just because you have a gay cousin or had sex with a lesbian now let's begin When I was six years old, I remember having a little crush on Usher because, duh, it was Usher. Everyone loved him, but I knew I was attracted to him. By that time, I had already, I had this idea that being gay wasn't something you wanted to be due to the, you know, the constant bullying that I faced from my brother and other kids in the neighborhood and at school and the adults around me didn't make it easier. My mother and my aunt would scold me sometimes and you know tell me to talk like a big boy, and I didn't realize how bad my voice was until I started recording myself on, on one of my cell phones as a teenager. Recently, one of my uncles showed me footage of, of myself at a, at a birthday party, and my voice was so high, it just it made me cringe. And I mean, I've grown to accept my voice for what it is. I still don't love it though. Um, but back to my gay little childhood so let's start some storytelling so when i was a kid my mom had signed me and my brother up for this day camp during the summer it was cool because we would go on field trips play games and go swimming at the pool nearby and a bunch of my other cousins were there as well so shout out to the cardona nation now remember i was a good boy i was i didn't bother anyone intentionally and i usually followed the rules so I made some friends while in summer camp and you know when I wasn't hanging out with my cousins and sometimes they would split us up in different groups with different counselors and I didn't always feel safe around my brother so most times it felt nice to not be around him. I'll explain more on that later. But you know one time we were going on a trip to an amusement park and I remember being extra happy because I got I got to sit next to my favorite camp counselor Miguel. He was a handsome young man and always very friendly with me. Needless to say, he was my favorite and I had a big old crush on him. I don't remember much of our conversations, but I do remember going home after camp and writing in a diary about my crush, so let me clarify before anyone starts doing some detective work. Miguel never did or said anything that would make me think there was actually a chance he'd be my boyfriend. This was just my like my first experience with like puppy love or whatever you want to call it, so yeah. So I had a diary. I wanted to be like Doug. If you grew up in the nineties, you remember the cartoon Doug and how every episode, you know, was, it started off with him writing in his diary. And that's what I did when I got home from camp. So I would make sure I was alone and I would write things like today I sat with Miguel on the bus and when I get older, I'm going to live with Miguel. So I do remember him jokingly telling me uh, that there was a, you know, that that was going to live with him when I got older and that was a spark. That was a spark of hope for my little gay ass. So who knows? He probably knew my home was chaotic and wanted to make me feel better or something wishful thinking. Right. So silly me. I didn't think anyone would actually read my diary because, you know, diaries were something you, people weren't supposed to look at, you know, that's what TV tells you. Um, so yeah, I didn't think anyone would read it until one day my mom came home and, uh, Oh no! I think the story, as I remember it, I was in my room and my mom and her husband confronted me about what they saw or what they read in the diary. And they made me feel terrible about it. And I remember crying because I just felt embarrassed. And I don't think they thought Miguel did anything inappropriate. I think it was more of a, you're not supposed to be writing things like this kind of conversation. So I don't know if they were just being nosy or if Maybe my brother had shown them the diary when I wasn't around. I probably left it on the living room table or something. Who knows? But privacy and boundaries are a fucking myth in Puerto Rican households. So I don't remember any interactions with Miguel Miguel after that incident. And I'm not sure if I ever went back to the day camp. So now the craziest thing about this story is I completely forgot about the confrontation. And just I completely forgot about that moment until maybe a year ago. Um, so like early 2020 before COVID and everything, I was at my mom's house and, you know, we just started talking and she brought up Miguel and that conversation. And I barely remembered what she was talking about until I left her house and went and drove home and it all slowly started coming back to me. And I just started to feel like a lot of anger and sadness. And I always remembered who Miguel was and going to the day camp with my cousins, obviously. But for some reason, I think I like chose to forget that specific part of the story. And I don't know, maybe I I put it in that place where you put, you know, trauma or traumatic events and in order to survive. And I don't think I wrote in a diary after that for a long time. I definitely didn't talk to anyone about any other crushes I may have had or, you know, anything like that as as a kid or a young teen. And because the tone was set, Being gay wasn't a good thing to be or write about. So let's fast forward a little bit. My middle school years were a bit of a blur, but I still got asked the same old question every, you know, every so often. And I never talked to my mom or my family members about what the kids at school would say. I mean, it's not like they were the only ones. My cousins on all sides of my family would make fun of me and ask if I was gay and whatever. I mean, I think I figured. If I didn't talk about it, it would go away. Sometimes I would celebrate going like a whole week or two without anyone bothering me or asking me if I was gay. And by celebrate, I mean dance around the house to pop music before my mom or her husband got home. My my older brother had started living with his girlfriend during that time and eventually did some time for a very specific crime. So. Even though he wasn't around much for my teen years, I still dealt with my fair share of ignorance from my peers and a lot of the adults around me. In seventh grade, I met one of my best friends, Astante, and he was one of the first people I knew that didn't make fun of me for liking Mariah Carey because he was also a fan of hers. And anyone that really knows me knows that my mother's favorite singer was Mariah, and I ended up loving her music more than she did. I grew up around a lot of toxic masculinity, especially when it came to music. Listening to artists like Britney Spears was a, you know, easy way to be ridiculed by anyone, like my my older brother or kids in the neighborhood. But I'll save the music topic for later because it's a big part of my life and a big part of you know some of my damaged relationships. So back to Estante, we were super close and we still have a brother like relationship to this day. You know, back then we would literally race home to see who would be the first one to call the other on the phone and we would just talk for hours. And, you know, things were cool until his mom got suspicious of our friendship and ended up having a conversation with my mother about it. And it was pretty mortifying. As I remember it, one day after school, Sante came to my house and he brought his little brother along with him and we were hanging out in my room. At the time, I had a, I had played piano, and I had an electric keyboard in there, so I played a few songs for them. They weren't there long, like, they weren't hanging out at my house for long, because just, you know, having friends over the house was not a common thing. It just, just wasn't that kind of house, and mainly because of my mother's husband, and trust me, I'll get to all that shit soon enough. So apparently, Astante's little brother, who was about seven years younger than us, had lied to his mother about what happened in my room. He told his mom that we locked him out of the room and started speaking sexually to each other. That did not happen at all. I guess it was easy. You know, it was like a it was a believable story because parents always knew that I was gay or, you know, they were suspicious and some would ignorantly assume that I was bisexual. So because of that lie, communication with my best friend was controlled and limited for a while. So we've had our share of ups and downs through the years, and he ended up going to a different high school after we graduated middle school. But he was still around, you know, so I remember coming out to him on MySpace and it was one of the more positive reactions. And he's an actor and a father now, but before all that, he was the brother that I always wanted, especially because of my non-existent relationship with my older brother and i didn't know that the roller coaster that was our friendship was the beginning of this you know constant search for a real sense of brotherhood and my little brother was born in 2002 so there's a good 11 year difference between us and we aren't as close as i would like but there's a few reasons for that so just stay with me so let's get into high school in 2005 my freshman year we moved out of the projects and into my mother's husband's home. And I say that because it wasn't my home. He had moved into our apartment in the projects in the 90s and when he, around the time he first got with my mom. So even though he wasn't yet married to my mom, I was kind of forced to call him my stepdad, dad, to be specific. One time, one of his family members yelled at me because I called him by his first name during a visit to his sister's house and I didn't have the courage to challenge anyone at that time because I'm a, you know, young kid who just follows the rules. So I was always told, you know, he raised you, he married your mom, and he pays the bills. And I guess those are the qualifications to be respected and addressed as dad without actually being one. Even though my father was in my life, I think he took issue with me calling my mother's husband dad, and he had every right to. He simply wasn't my dad, so he was my mother's husband and that's all he'll ever be to me. I mean, he did some nice things for me every now and then, but my lack of respect for him as a person is deeply rooted and I'll get into that. Um, you know, I've been, I've been drinking, so I'm going to try to stay on track. (laughs) So, okay, 2005, freshman year of high school, um, my Father was going through a messy divorce with my stepmom, and that's a story that's filled with all types of tea. And I won't go into the story too much, but you, you know, go. I'm gonna give it to you. Can't give you. Can't give it all to you at once. I want you to listen to the whole thing. So during that time, my father and I had a falling out, and mainly over his, you know, his woman of choice, and he cut me out of his life, and. It forever just changed my relationship with him, and it just had a huge impact on me. You know, especially because like a year later was when I came when I came to terms with myself as a gay man, and a lot was happening at that time. So at some point, I started to slowly tell some people that I was gay, and I never got a chance to tell him verbally, but he found out through a family member who saw it on my MySpace page, and. I guess i should tell the story of my coming out now so you know there was a point in sophomore year when random people kept asking if i was gay and it just started to fuck with me and i ended up not being able to sleep for like three nights in a row and i kept listening to this song by mariah called outside and i just kept asking myself like i just kept talking to myself saying things like you know what would be so bad if i just accepted this you know it's not like you have to live up to anyone's expectations it's it's going to be hard but do you really want to go through life not being able to experience love or dating because you can't accept this one thing that you know you are you know you know you're attracted to men fuck everybody else you know those were the things that i would say while listening to that song on repeat and on the third night you know i don't know what what clicked or what happened and you know many could argue different things about it but I just I finally accepted it. I, I you know, when I had that moment to myself, I felt this weight come off my shoulders and I was just able to sleep after. And, you know, suddenly my my worries were no longer hoping no one would ask me if I was gay. But it, it turned into how am I going to tell people and kind of get through high school with, you know, being one of the very few people who were, you know, just openly gay. So the challenges were kind of waiting for me. So I dealt with a lot of ignorance and a lot of people assuming that the straight guys that I would hang out with were gay too. And, you know, that's a whole nother conversation for another day. And I've had those conversations on like, you know, what about your friends and stuff? So lucky for me, I had gotten closer to my older sister, Christina, during that time. And she happened to be, you know, queer as well. And she was going through her own problems at that time. And she came out me sometime after I did. And I we, I didn't have many queer friends in high school. I was one of like three openly gay kids. Well, at least I should say men uh, in school. So we weren't, we were all we had at the time in terms of a queer community. And when I graduated high school, we became roommates for a while. So I'll never forget those great times that we had as, as kids and as teens. And we would just, we would stay up watching TV, order dominoes, play rock band and listen to Jojo and we we bonded over music and and hanging out with her just felt like home but it always felt like a almost like a recess because i didn't live in her house i would stay over sometimes on the weekends and go back to prison i mean home on sunday night we had some good times though so yeah high school as an openly gay teen in the mid 2000s i was mildly popular but people weren't really in my business until after i came out um i was super close with my cousin jazz in high school and we had a bunch of classes together during those four years and she's still one of my closest family members slash girlfriends and i want to tell a quick story about a time she had asked me to go to church with her my cousin was very persistent at the time and she's known for her way of with words and She likes to argue that I'm worse than her in the shade department. I mean, I disagree. But anyways, she asked me to go to church with her. And I was a little skeptical because I just didn't feel the most comfortable in church settings, especially not as an openly gay teen, you know, just trying to, you know, just kind of new and trying to find myself or whatever. But she told me it was going to be fun and that I would really enjoy it. And I gave in and agreed to go with her. Little did she know that the topic of the sermon that night was going to touch on homosexuality and how some of the members of the church were planning on protesting against same-sex marriage at the state's capital, and I felt just powerless. I just sat there and I watched everyone around me just like clap in agreeance, and my cousin apologized to me, but my mind was made up. And I mean, even though that night didn't affect my relationship with God, I knew church wasn't for me. I mean, I understand why people enjoy going to church and there's a sense of community there for some people, just not for me. Over the years, I've had to set some boundaries and, you know, with some family members due to their strong beliefs against homosexuality and, you know, just their anti-gay rhetoric and... These people tend to sing the same song sometimes, and they love Frankie, but when it comes to homosexuality in their home, on their TV shows, their children, that's where the love stops, I guess. So let's get back to my coming out. I mean, I told a few people slowly. The first person I told was my friend Cody. We were in band together. Quick little side note. I played piano for a little bit in middle school. High school played the bass drum and cymbals when I was in band. So yeah even though we weren't really best friends i wanted to tell him and part of me felt like there was a chance that he would react in a not so positive way i figured i'd get the you know the bad out of the way now and then focus on the good later crazy right a life changing moment and my biggest concern was acceptance as if i did something wrong and everyone else was so much more worthy than i was and i needed their approval to feel validated To my surprise, Cody received the news well. We didn't hang out outside of school, but I always felt this kind of underlying sense of brotherhood from him while we were in band together. And after his reaction, I figured it was okay to, you know, start to tell more people. I mean, I never received a bad reaction from anyone, but they weren't always the most comforting. Some of them were just basically, you know, femphobic or transphobic and, some people thought I was going to start wearing dresses or that I wanted to be a woman. Like I said, I dealt with a lot of ignorance during that time. And I mean, shit, I still do, especially from family these days. Speaking of family, one time I was at my DT Lisa's house hanging out with my sisters and my cousins. And during a conversation about fathers being present in children's lives, one of my aunts threw my name into the mix. Well, what about Frankie? His father didn't live with him, to which her husband responded Yeah, and look how he turned out. Now, it may have been a joke at the time, but I didn't take it as one. And I felt like a, you know, statistic because of that comment. And as kids and even young teens, we were always involved in like grown folks conversations. But this was one of the most awkward moments. And I wasn't as vocal as I am now or I wasn't as vocal back then as I am now. So I just kind of shook it off, but I never forgot it. At some point after my 16th birthday, I decided to come out to my mother. She cried and received the news a little bit better than I thought. And, you know, I didn't expect her to, you know, take it badly. But my mother is somewhat a religious woman, but she never forced religion on me. I went to like Sunday school once with my cousins when I was a kid, but it just it wasn't much of a priority. As I grew into my teens, she allowed me to form my own relationship with God. And I didn't have to prove anything to her. And I'm glad she never pushed it on me. So, yeah. I mean, I remember, I remember telling her not to tell her husband, not right away. I don't know why I thought she would listen. By that point, I, you know, had had the feeling that her marriage was a little bit more important than her relationship with me. And I think she ended up telling him that same night I mean, I I, I understand to an extent, but you know, it it just wasn't, that wasn't her call to make. I wasn't afraid of him throwing me out of the house or anything like that. I was afraid that I wasn't going to be able to live the life that I should have lived as a gay teen. And I was right. To this day, we've never talked about it. At least me and her husband, he never spoke to me about it. And mind you, this same man, the one that I was forced to call dad for a good portion of my life. The one that raised me and the one that I had to respect, who was fully aware of the drama between my father and I at the time. And just that same man made a choice to remain silent during a very critical point in my life. And he spoke in other ways, though. So I'll get back to that in a few. So because my sister and I were super close at the time, I started hanging out with her and her friends on the weekends. Sometimes we would go out to eat or go to the movies, a regular teen ship. One day, she invited me to a graduation party for her friend, Charnel, and I knew of Charnel from looking at her yearbook, and I remember thinking he was cute, and Charnel was a bit bold, to say the least, when I met him. Apparently, he tried flirting with me, but I was too naive to notice shit like that. Eventually, we started talking on MySpace, and one thing led to another, and he, you know, we, he became my first boyfriend. We didn't date for long because we simply weren't good for each other. I was a jealous queen, and he did not have the time for my reindeer games. So he ended up breaking up with me after I threatened to pull up at his house. I mean, I was out of line, you know, just super young and dumb. Some time went by, and we didn't speak for a while. Eventually, we were able to build a true friendship, and I lived with him for a few years. After I moved out of his apartment, Um, we started our very first podcast, What About Your Friends? So stay tuned for that episode. Charnel was the only guy that I dated in high school, and my mother didn't know until years later. Not many people knew other than my sister and a few friends, so I never talked to my mom about things like that because I just figured she was going to do the most and probably put my business out there or talk to her husband again. And, you know, we sometimes would have our little moments in the kitchen, listening to music and just talk shit about family, including him. We used to have this little, like, inside joke if if any of you have ever seen a uh, liar liar uh you know the line here he comes to wreck the day uh and most likely it was you know it was about her husband like i said he pulled into the driveway we would hear the car and we would say that to each other and you know get back into our uh, you know in our positions in terms of like you know oh make sure make sure the the TV isn't loud or make sure the TV's off if we're not watching it or make sure a light's off or a window's not cracked or whatever. It just, it was just shit like that. He ruined a lot of days for me. So some of my friends would even notice how the energy of the room would shift whenever he would come home. And I mean, I guess I should start to discuss how I felt like a, how I felt a bit like a prisoner living in his house. So he had some real issues and he would just project a lot of shit onto me and my mom. And I'd come home from school and the house would be super dark with all the windows closed and blinds covered. And he was a cop. He was super paranoid and he would leave for work around the time that I came home from school. So as soon as he left, I would open up all the blinds and open all the windows and blast music and dance around the house before my mom would come home. And Sometimes I would sneak friends over, but only for a little bit because, like I said, it just wasn't that kind of household, especially when we moved into his. So, you know, my friends or, you know, guests of mine weren't really welcome. I wanted to save this story for another episode, but it makes sense to talk about it here. So I'm going to bring Astante back in the mix because this story involved him. So I need you to stay with me, get comfy, refill the the drinks, right? Because right now I am. So, so after I came out to my mom, there was a time when Astante came to my house to hang out and we were in my room watching TV and the door was open. I was sitting in a chair in front of my computer, probably on MySpace or something. And Astante was on his phone laying on my bed, you know, regular shit friends do. And my mother's husband came home. You know and he had walked by my room and saw this controversial scene he didn't say anything to me but he did complain to my mom about it who then told me it was one of the many moments where i felt like my mother didn't fight for me the way i felt she should have um obviously she didn't have an issue with astante laying on my bed she was just the messenger and i'll never know what his issue was like i said he never spoke to me about anything you know regarding my sexuality I assumed maybe he didn't want my little brother to see two friends hanging out in a room together. I don't know. I guess he had some issue with it. So, you know how people use children as leverage to justify their homophobia? This was probably, you know, that this was probably the case. So, funny enough, he had an issue with that, but didn't seem to have an issue whenever his father would bring his underage girlfriend to our house and they would kiss in our back patio. I'll leave it at that. I mean, it's not like he was this religious man or even much of a conservative, although I'm pretty sure he voted for Trump. Um, He was your typical controlling and manipulative person and who just was rarely held accountable. I mean, one time I heard him describe a famous gay singer as a flamer during a big family dinner at my uncle's house and... At the time, I just, I didn't have the confidence to check him, but I wanted to because I was pretty embarrassed and my mom tried to have my back in the moment, but I didn't want to make a scene in someone's house because historically, anytime that I stood up for myself or tried to defend my mother, I was dismissed and deemed disrespectful. He didn't apologize. He's actually never apologized to me about any of the bullshit he put me or my mother through and I don't expect one either. It wouldn't change anything. So the situation with Estante really just kind of set the tone for the rest of the time I spent living in his house. But I want to fast forward to when I turned 18 and graduated high school. I used to talk about college with some of my friends, but it really wasn't my number one priority. And I didn't have a family that was invested in my future or, you know, we just, I didn't have conversations about, you know, what college to you know, to apply to or what programs to research. And my priority was finding a way to leave that house. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to have much of a life because of my mother's husband and her middle of the road, you know, attitude. So after I graduated, my sister had asked me to move in with her in the downstairs apartment at my stepmom's house. And I jumped at the chance. Life hit me. Pretty hard once I moved out, but I don't regret it. I started working part-time at CVS where I met some of my closest friends. So shout out to Jason, Chrissy, and Cassie. You guys might have seen Jason dance on Instagram or TikTok. So during that time, I was working part-time and barely able to pay any of my bills. And I had this like crippling sense of independence and too much pride to ask anyone for help. And I went three days without eating and because i was broke and just couldn't find it in me to ask my sister or anyone to help because i just i felt like a failure if i ever had to ask anyone to borrow money for a week it's you know it's something that i still struggle with i ended up getting into a long distance relationship for a couple months and it wasn't a great relationship but we were super young and just not really on the same page and I mean, he wasn't out to his family or anything like that. So it played a big factor. And I, didn't, I ended up breaking up with him because it simply wasn't going anywhere. And that was the last official relationship I was in. I mean, over the last 11 years, I've only had like toxic situations where I put faith into people who ended up not really being into me. And, you know, I guess I felt like, you know, complicated was just like the you know, the, the the only road to take when it came to dating and being broke and a little reserved at the time. I wasn't into going out and drinking, so I never really put myself out there until like years later. At the time, my friends and I would just go out to eat and use the Wi-Fi at McDonald's to watch YouTube videos. And I mean, I didn't start drinking until I was 23. That's the box guy story, so stay tuned for that. And I didn't smoke weed until I was like, 25 or 26 so I ended up moving out of the apartment with my sister after a falling out that really just kind of damaged our relationship it took a few years before you know we started to build it back up but you know even though it's not the same you know we're I think we're both at a point where we're okay with that um so I moved out and I shared an apartment with my dad and my cousin Jody for a little bit and then another not so nice apartment with just my father and Eventually, you know, moved out of there and I lived with Charnel for a little bit. Even though our, you know, previous relationship didn't work out, we really ended up, you know, just building a solid friendship. And I learned a lot from him, you know, while I lived, you know, while we lived together. I started going through some life-changing shit at the time and I ended up just having real deep feelings for one of my friends that I met at work. We'll call him Q for the sake of privacy. I'm going to give some people nicknames in case they want to, you know, try to sue me or something. So, but yeah, trust me when I say I learned many lessons from that experience. And I'm going to go into my time with Q more on the Box Guy episode, but that happened while I was living with charnel and he warned me. He told me to establish boundaries with him and, but I was young and dumb and thought I had a handle on the situation and I didn't. And that's when I started drinking and acting a fool. So after living with Charnel for about two years, I ended up moving in with some old friends from high school and in a house that wasn't, you know, it was a bit chaotic to say the least. And my friend O asked me to move in with him because his dad wanted um, people to help him pay the mortgage. It was a five bedroom, three bath house, and it was perfect for parties. So, I was the only gay guy in a house with four other straight guys, and that had a few perks, but it definitely felt like a reality show. So, sex, liquor, loud music, game nights, girlfriends trying to sneak in through the windows, bringing drama to the house, everything. I had some uncomfortable conversations with a few roommates about, you know, queerness being a choice, and it got ignorant. For some reason, I assumed that people were a little more evolved at the time, but I was wrong. So one night I wanted to start some shit and I invited my new friend from work over the house while most of my roommates were home. We'll call him Jay. And I wanted them to hear me and Jay having sex because I knew it was going to make them uncomfortable and they were going to act childish. Well, most of them would. So Jay and I pretended to have sex. He was jumping on the bed and I, you know, shaking shit. And I had put a freaky playlist with some 90s R&B on it to really set the scene. So they all fell for it. One of them started yelling, yo, from the kitchen. And I didn't care. Every other night I had to hear them have sex with random girls. So consideration was nowhere to be found. I mean, don't even get me started on actual housekeeping. I'm gonna take a sip on that one. So... If there's one thing straight guys, you know, do, it's contradict themselves. It was just, you know, it was it was fine for them to, you know, fuck whoever they wanted and cheat on their girlfriends, but the rules were different for Frankie. Frankie had to make sure the guys were comfortable at all times and you ever hear straight guys say shit like you can be gay but keep that shit over there and, you know, that was basically like their motto, but only for the only for the gay guys. Women could bring the gay shit around anytime, right? So eventually the house got more chaotic and roommates were in and out and random started living in the house without paying rent. So I ended up moving in with Jay in the fall of 2017 for about a year and a half. And by that time we were already in a toxic ass situationship. So after my, you know, my experience with my friend Q, I needed something to take my mind off of him, something that wasn't alcohol. So Jay was like the perfect rebound because he was actually attracted to me. The problem was we all worked together and he was, you know, cool with Q as well. So things got messy. And at the time, Q and I were kind of distant, but we were still cool. So he started hanging out with other people and I got consumed with my bullshit with Jay. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. I've had some fun times with Jay, but the bad outweighed the good. We were bad for each other for many reasons. He didn't want a relationship, but he wanted to keep me around. And I thought there was more underneath that. And I'm sure I'm not, I'm not the only one that's been in this situation before. So there was just a lot of manipulation and mind games and the alcohol was abused in the house. So needless to say, there was a lot of, of drunk fights. Most were verbal, but some were physical. And there was a point where... I was just sick of the bullshit, and I wasn't in my right mind, and I felt like I couldn't really talk to anyone about the shit that I was dealing with, so I stopped having sex with Jay. I was done. Uh, I made a huge mistake by outing him to his best friend, and I know I'm wrong for that. Trust me, I do. I don't know why I thought if this is going to be the end of our situation, someone else should know the truth. Even though I wasn't a fan of you know, his friends, I was somewhat close with one of them. And so I ended up telling him. So my relationship with Jay wasn't, it was very much a roller coaster after that. And in 2018, even though I was still living with Jay, I started dating someone for a short period of time. We'll call him D. Jay didn't know. It's not that I was afraid to tell him, I just didn't want to deal with whatever was going to come after that. I was only going on dates with D for a few weeks before things took a turn. I ended up losing my job, and two days after I got fired, D ended things with me before they, you know, could really get to the next level, and I was just, I was devastated. I had put like so much hope into you know my situation with him because it seemed like he really liked me, and at the time, it just it felt nice to date someone who was also you know just out and about, just wasn't in the closet. Um, up until then, I had never, I never had, so. I mean, I've only had two boyfriends and they didn't last long. So with D, it just felt like finally, I don't have to worry about being someone's secret. You know, things were falling into place and I was enjoying the ride. And I was also riding the high from doing my first live show with Charnel. from, you know, from doing What About Your Friends. We had some fun dates, but ultimately we were on different pages. He was dealing with a lot of darkness and he knew about some of the details from my situation with Jay so I'm sure he thought I was going to be consumed with you know whatever he was battling at the time and he ended up getting into a relationship about a month or two later so that just kind of twisted the knife for me (laughs) Um, I mean we tried to keep things friendly with each other but I needed time away from him you know I believe with enough time and proper boundaries people can heal and still be friends after dating I mean, I've done it with Charnel and, you know, I've done it with some, pe- with some people who, you know, have been in my life. So, yeah, after we stopped dating, I was still living with Jay and I was unemployed and I was just in a super dark place. And there was a night I went out with Charnel, We went out to the club and I went out, came home around 1 a.m. And as I opened the door, I saw Jay shirtless and a new friend on his way out of the house. So obviously it was his new fling. And even though I was done with him, it's still, you know, it's still kind of fucked me up. Um, you know, I figured Jay was hooking up with people just not in our apartment. You know, it's one thing for, to know what's happening. It's another to walk in and be reminded that you you know, your former sex buddy, whatever you would like to call him, uh, is just now fucking someone else in your house. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. I hooked up with a few weirdos during that time and- But I never brought them to the house. I'm not a messy bitch. So we had an awkward conversation and I ended up telling him about D. There was only a few months left in our lease, but we were on the same page. We weren't renewing it and we were going to go our separate ways. It got darker though. We ended up having sex again and my emotions were all over the place. And I was going through phones and emails and in the words of my mother, when you dig, you find I had it coming. I mean, I didn't deserve some of the shit that I went through with him, but like I said, we were bad for each other. When you try to find home in, in the wrong places and in the wrong people, you end up in shitty predicaments and repeating cycles, just like I did. So the end of 2018 and beginning of 2019 were the, you know, were, were the end of a lot of things for me. My toxic relationship with Jay, my hopeful but disappointing situation with D. My first podcast coming to an end and obviously being unemployed. So despite all the bullshit, I mean, I don't wish any bad on Jay at all. I miss I miss the good times and I'm grateful for the memories. But sometimes you got to love people from a distance and, you know, establish boundaries in, in order to heal. So I moved out of the apartment with Jay and moved back into the crazy house with O. There were some new roommates this time around, but it wasn't exactly peaceful. So I did a lot of reflecting during that time and I stayed there for about a year and a half before getting kicked out. I'm not going to go into that story. So I was just, you know, during that time, I was realizing, you know, just why I went through all the bullshit. I had a lot of talks with myself. And, you know, like I said, if you haven't gathered, you know, if you haven't figured it out by now, I'll just say it again. I've been really trying to find this like sense of brotherhood and community and home and just all the wrong spaces ever since seventh grade you know don't get me wrong I love some of my straight friends but they weren't always equipped for some of the conversations I wanted to have you know so the the ones I was like super close with they didn't care that I was gay and that was enough for me unfortunately They also didn't care about the things that, you know, affected me as a gay man politically, socially or emotionally, you know, being on social media, you see a lot of ignorance and you see how people really feel about the queer community, you know, with the with the memes and the posts, you know, that are like, you know, would you rather have a gay son or a son, son in a gang or a son in jail? you just see people's true colors, you know. I've had these, you know, conversations with Charnell on what about your friends and over the years I've just I've gotten real comfortable with the, you know, the block and the unfollow or the mute buttons and you know, it's it really helps. You truly forget people exist when you just when you don't have to see them on a, you know, daily basis, at least on your news feed. So I think there are times where, you know, conversations should be had, right? Like we should be able to have you know just intelligent and, and informed conversations but because there's always something to learn but what i've noticed is that a lot of people aren't willing to learn from the queer community um, because of the way that they were taught to you know perceive them so you know when people aren't willing to learn from you you're not going to get anywhere i've been dismissed so many times by straight men who thought they had all the answers because you know like i said earlier they had sex with a with a queer woman or they had a gay family member and even though i've had my moments with my straight friends i've always felt more comfortable around them over some straight women um this isn't a shot at anyone in particular but quite a few times i've felt tokenized from some women because you know they also tend to have these superficial ideas of how gay men should carry themselves and every girl wants a gay best friend to be the little charm on a bracelet and don't get me wrong i can have some fun with the ladies but just because we both like dick doesn't mean i want to go shopping or do your nails or figure out if the man you're dating is bisexual i mean no shades to any gays who are like that it's just never been my thing and i'm not putting you know i'm not putting guys on a pedestal because i know they can be trash um you know, over the years some guys have been super friendly with me just simply because they wanted to have sex with one of my family members or, you know, and so they would, you know, get me some free drinks. And I'm not gonna complain about the free drinks, you know, a bitch be thirsty sometimes, you know. So I'll you know, I'll I'll take it for what it is. Um but, you know, I've also but I've also been treated like a a jail a get out of jail free card for them. You know, I was there excuse for why they couldn't be homophobic or contribute to homophobic narratives. And I always say life would be a lot easier if men just weren't so concerned about how others lived or loved. Um, you know, I could go on for days about my love hate relationship with men, but I'll move on. So because I was so used to being in spaces where my, you know, my identity as a queer man was just simply tolerated, I guess I just figured that was enough. I mean, I should have spent more time finding just, you know, better friends, specifically queer ones. And I mean, I've had some, you know, Jason, Chrissy, and Cassie were people I spent a lot of time with, but, you know, eventually life happens, life gets in the way and, you know, people grow in, in different directions at different speeds. And, you know, we're still cool, but we just, you know, we don't hang out as much as we used to and 2020 didn't make that any easier. So, but I'm glad we still keep up with each other. So, so yeah, when I... When I started realizing my problems with some of my friends I started also I started to reflect on my my views towards my own community and I mean I've realized why I didn't always feel embraced by certain you know certain sides of the queer community and you know where that comes from and you know why I was uncomfortable with you know certain aspects of my uh, feminine side or just like femininity in in general. But, you know, it's because of my surroundings. I mean, like I said, when I came out, it went from this like really groundbreaking thing to somehow, you know, Frankie has to make sure the people around him are comfortable with the kind of gay guy he is. You know, if he's too feminine, then, you know, he won't have any friends. And if I censor myself, then I'm not being true to myself. So, I mean, if I had a dollar for every time a straight guy told me I was one of the cool ones, I would have already started a new life in a brand new state by now. So, speaking of moving, I've been trying to figure out how to move for the past year, but because 2020 kind of fucked us all up, it's been put on hold, and I kind of want to tell a little story about when I went down to D.C. in the summer of 2019 to hang out with my friends Huey and Lorenzo. I drove down there, and this was my first time driving that far a distance by myself, and I had always heard good things about D.C., but had never visited until I decided to buy tickets to go see the read live with Huey. When I pulled up in Maryland, I was just like blown away at how beautiful of a state it was. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Connecticut has some really beautiful places. Majority of my photography has been shot in Connecticut, but there's just, there was just something different about Maryland. And I was only there overnight, but it was enough for me to, you know, to get to a point where I was like, wow, I could see myself living here. And up until then, I had never, I had never thought about, I never thought that about any other place. I mean, you know, I've been to New York and California, but at the time I never saw myself living in those states. I was younger and didn't ever think I would, you know, leave Connecticut. I used to, I used to think that I had to be married and, you know, settle down before I made that kind of, you know, life-changing decision. But by the end of 2018, my mind was made up. I was ready to start fresh and you know anyway back to maryland pulled up to the hotel across from the university of maryland and took an uber to meet up with lorenzo and we met up and got tacos before we met huey at the national museum of african-american history and culture as we were walking around i noticed a truck pull up at the light with two guys and they were pretty cute one of them was staring in our direction and i assumed that he knew lorenzo or something you know, I'm the new kid in town, so I'm just, you know, I'm assuming that if somebody's, you know, pulling up, they they're going to know the person that I'm with or something, whatever. Um, it turns out he was just checking me out. And this was probably the first time I ever had like that kind of experience in public. And it's not to say that I want to move to Maryland just so I can be hit on. You know, it's 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 more than that. You know, there's so much to do and see. And I have friends down there some of my friends from high school moved down there after we graduated and I definitely should have followed suit. Um, I mean, I don't know why I tried to make a home out of Connecticut when it's just, it's just not right for me living in an area where, you know, queer people aren't afraid to shoot their shot is a lot more, you know, it sounds a lot more appealing than, you know, always being someone's fucking secret. There's just nothing left for me in Connecticut. I mean, I've made some great memories and met some, you know, great people, but honestly, I'm just ready for a change and a chance to spread my wings and find a better version of myself. And I know I tend to go on tangents with my storytelling, so I'll try to wrap up soon. Um So yeah, after we hit the museum, Huey and I went to the show and we hung out at Busboys and Poets afterwards and I, I had a great time. And like I said, I was only there for one night, but it was enough for me to realize like I needed to leave Connecticut ASAP. So it's, it's just like, it's, it's a little hard to explain, but it's like, you know, how many times I've had to like code switch and be, you know, less of myself, um, because I was around straight people and didn't want to make them uncomfortable whether it's my presence or the music I listen to i've I've felt pretty out of place for quite some time and I'm just sick of it I need more you know nights with my queer friends and in a place where we are you know kind of somewhat celebrated um, I shouldn't have to feel like the only chance for me to live like this is you know, uh, you know behind closed doors or after midnight or on vacation so i'm making it my mission to move sometime before my 30th birthday but we'll see how that goes with this fucking pandemic or and everything i mean at least we got trump out of office though right yeah so i guess what i'm trying to say with this this chapter or this you know part of the podcast is my life as a gay man in connecticut has been somewhat entertaining but it's also been a little restricted and it's taken me a while to realize, you know, what I need and what I want out of friends, family, career, dating, and I'm not settling anymore. I'm not the same person I was when I was 18, 23, or even 27. I'm a creative, passionate, and caring person who's been hurt and dismissed like a lot of us. I've made a lot of mistakes and projected my shit onto others and i've learned a lot of lessons along the way so i know a lot of people feel like turning 30 is like the end of the world but honestly i'm excited for it i mean i'm single and have no kids so i can literally do whatever the fuck i want with a lot more knowledge and a little bit more self-awareness than i used to have and i'm just ready for the next chapter so i'm a free man thank you for listening (music)